Brother Mike, you mind uh, lead us in a word of prayer? Thank y'all again for coming to, um, this evening. And as we continue to talk about uh, Christian fellowship, our life together, uh, through our study, this, the focus has been on enhancing our fellowship together, the bond that we share as members of the body of Christ. Members of the body of Christ have heard God's word. They've believed it. They've repented of their sins. They've, excuse me, they've turned away from living in a way that God doesn't want them to live and turning to God. And they, those that have come to Christ have confessed with their mouth that they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then they were baptized. They were not sprinkled upon, not poured upon, but immersed all the way in water and coming back up, a new creature. And then we try to live our lives in the best way possible. We try to be as Revelation 2.10 tells us to live faithfully unto death, not just till we die, but even if death has to come, uh, we are faithful to Christ. We're faithful to God. But then we, once we are Christians, that doesn't mean that we hopefully didn't just, you know, get wet. That we just come in to the church building, we sit in the pews, and we, we worship together, but not really together. We're just here, and then we're here for the same thing. Hopefully, we've come together because we are together. Um, we share in a bond. We, we, we talked last week about an accepting fellowship. Um, Jesus died that we might reconcile us back to God in one body. We are now fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, Ephesians 2.10. And we have been joined together as a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians 2.21. And again, we were talking about an accepting fellowship. We all have differences, right? We have to accept each other because God accepts us anyway. God accepts us just like we are. I mean, we, we have to come to him um, through the steps that i just just spoken of. But he accepts us. He accepts me with my bald head and you with your beard and you with your, you know, you like the net and you want to, um, so, and, or, or you like the ice fish or, uh, you're black, I'm white. Um, you're, you're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. Uh, I'm an independent. You, you're a fisherman. I don't know if that's a political party, but you know, you, you, we have all these differences yet. God wants us to realize that in Christ, we're all the same and we need to accept one another. I hope in some way that, that we've been challenged to think about our fellowship and the importance of doing what we can to nurture that fellowship we have in Christ, to nurture it, that we strive to develop the family-like intimacy Jesus intended for God's household, that we can uh, uh, appreciate the differences or the interdependence that we have, the, the differences that we have, but the interdependence that we have with one another. I'm dependent upon you 
you're dependent upon me. I hope we appreciate that. I, I love being dependent upon you, and I hope that you can feel the same um, from me. I, I'll tell you that last night we had a, a Bible study here for the men. Um, it was a really good class. Uh, I know I know, Mike, you, you enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed it. Um, I know um, we were able to talk about some things that were not just on our mind, but coming from God's Word. We studied the book of Ezekiel last night, and it was amazing. We read the, like, I think the, it was the first four verses in, in Ezekiel chapter 1, and there was so much that we pulled from there that is relatable to today. We read some of chapter 2 and parts of chapter 3 that were still so relatable, and it was great to be able to spend time with bro- my brothers to just relish in God's Word, and there's nothing like that. Um, there's nothing like that outside the body of Christ. And we've already talked about that. We had a lesson on that. Yet, while fellowship among brethren is wonderful, sometimes, though, we are called upon to withhold our fellowship from a brother or a sister in Christ. So last week we talked about having an accepting fellowship, coming together, accepting all. But there are times when we can't accept one another. We may have to view, to view a fellow disciple as a heathen and a tax collector, Matthew eighteen seventeen. We may have to avoid them. Romans sixteen seventeen, we might have to put them away, uh, put away from yourselves that wicked person. First Corinthians five thirteen. We might have to withdraw ourselves and not keep company with a fellow disciple. Second Thessalonians three six and fourteen, and we might not be able to receive him into our house nor greet him. Second John ten, we then have a limitation on our fellowship. We must respect if we are, there's a limitation on our fellowship that we must respect if we are to be um, true to the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. Okay, so as we go into this, some of you all recognize this as talking about maybe disfellowshipping or whatever other term you've heard uh, growing up in the, in the church or in the midst of the church. Has anyone in here ever experienced being in a congregation, whether it be here or somewhere else, where you had to place some limits on who you fellowship with that those brothers and sisters who are not in line with God's word. Have you ever been in a congregation where someone's been disfellowshipped? Is Jackie shaking her head? You tell me about it. No, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for like details. What I'm saying is that, because I have, I've been where a whole congregation is split and down the middle. Because you can't fellowship with some folks that are steady trying to do their own thing and still call themselves, but I'm, I'm, I'm the Lord's child, and he just wants me to be happy. And there are, there are glaring, glaring sins, I, I, I guess you can say. No, no sin is bigger than the other. Um... But what I'm saying, there are things that we just know that's wrong. That right there is wrong. If tell me, would I be wrong? Um, Court, if you saw me downtown Anchorage, I'm with another woman and I'm going into a hotel with her locked armed and armed. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen, do you? Can you assume though what's going to happen? Yeah. What should you do, brother? 
Okay, so I'm going to tell you what I would do to you. I would stop my car, and I'm running into that hotel. Hey, Corey, how you doing, man? What's going on? I promise you that's what I'm going to do. I, won't, I don't want to assume something bad is going to happen. But now I saw you, right? And I need to, hey, what's going on? Maybe, maybe it was a play I was doing. Yeah. Let me tell you an example. When we lived in Japan, when we lived in Okinawa, any of you all have been to Japan itself, and other countries do this too, but I know specifically in Okinawa, they have these places called love motels. And these love motels, the reason why the sole purpose they were built is because in some of the Okinawan families, they are huge. And there is no time for the mothers and fathers to spend time with one another. And so they had these little hotels that a married couple can go to, to spend time with one another, um, to eat a meal with one another, to get peace and quiet, or to be married, to do married things, right? And each one of these rooms are themed, and, 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 and you can eat, and you, can, you pay by the hour if you want to, or you stay there for a few days. But you know that's not what they're being used for. I'm telling you right now that's not what they're being used for. In fact, they're so secretive that when you drive into the motel, they have a uh, um, garage door that comes down as a gate. You can see all through the gate except for the license plate. They have that covered. Now, I bring to you, Court, you see me going to a love motel with somebody other than Jennifer Jackson. What are you going to do, brother? I think so. That's the point I'm getting at. Okay, so, and I say, no, no, I can do what I want to do. I can do what I want to do. And I'm going to come and sit in here every Sunday. I'm going to be the deacon over evangelism, and there's nothing you can do about it. Would y'all have a problem with that if y'all found out about that? Yes. Should, should I stop doing that? Yes, the answer is yes, because I'm sure Jennifer's somewhere in the building. She'll hear me, right? No, she's teaching. Anyway, yes. But I still say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. We've already talked about and we've read through Matthew chapter 18 through 15 through 17. <clears throat> but in those verses, I, I mentioned, I mentioned before, <coughs> excuse me, I mentioned before that while this, these verses are not primarily a checklist, you come to me, I don't listen. Now you bring two or three more people, you know, I don't listen. Now you take it to the church, I don't listen. Now we, y'all get rid of me, you disfellowship me. It's not primarily a checklist, but this is what we do. This is what, this is a, a, a example of how we should follow of dealing with one another. So we get to a point where I say, no, I don't care, elders, church, congregation. I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm a man and I can do that. Are y'all going to feel comfortable if I see you in Walmart and I run up to you, hey, Miss Jackie, how you doing? Are you going to feel comfortable, Mike, talking to me, Court, any of you all? I hope you don't. I hope that you're, you're saying to me, brother, I still love you. You got to get right. Not sharing a great time with me, though, because I am living a sinful life. So there's a command to withhold fellowship with one another. This is involving church discipline. Would someone please read uh, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 for me? Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry, y'all. 
Thank you. Other version says, Jesus in his own words says, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Spoken in the context of social relations at the time when you're talking about a tax collector. Jews had no social dealings with Gentiles, nor with their Jewish brethren who worked for the Roman government as tax collectors. The whole point here, though, is to withdraw social association from a brother who refuses to repent. If you are associating with a brother or sister who is refusing to repent, they're living in sin. Let me ask it a different way. If you are, you know that this brother and sister is living in sin, and yet you are still associating with them, what could that do to you or for you? What do you think it would do to you or for you? Yeah, come on, somebody. Influence me in the wrong way. How? Okay. So, so here on earth, right? What do you think it does to me spiritually? Or for me spiritually? Am I saying, is court saying when he knows I'm, uh, he knows, he's seeing me. You, no one else has, but you have. I mean, you know I'm not to, up to any good. You know it. You don't have to be in the room with me. You know I am. What other reason am I going in there with some other woman that's not my wife? I don't paint. I don't have a company that I'm building. A, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not up to any good. I'm in there fornicating, adult, uh, committing adultery. And you know this, but you're still hanging out with me. What are you saying about my um, activities? That you condone them? can't work well for either of you, right? No, it cannot. Anyone else? Well, let's look at as commanded by Jesus' apostles. If you look at Romans chapter 16, Romans chapter 16, yeah, I know this is a sensitive subject, but we, we have to talk about it. Romans chapter 16, someone please read verses 17 through 18. Paul, Paul's charge to the church at Rome, Romans 16, 17 through 18. This is a thank you. Involving those who cause divisions and offenses, the brethren were to note and avoid them. Let me ask you, um, what is in between heaven and hell? Do you know? I've been having a hard time finding in, in the Bible. What is in, in between heaven and hell? Hmm? Yeah, it is a chasm. You're right. <laughs> there's nothing. What I mean is there's either heaven or there's hell. Yeah, there's a chasm. What I mean is that you're only going to go to heaven or you're only going to go to hell. And so the reason why I mention that or ask that question 
In verse 18, it says, for those who are such do not serve Lord Jesus Christ. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ? Everybody knows his answer. He's in heaven. Is he in hell? No. So if we are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then who are we serving? Satan. So therefore, if I am not serving him, if I am doing my own thing and I decide that, well, I know the Bible says this is a way to heaven, but I want to do my own thing. So I'm going to get to heaven this way. I'm not serving Christ anymore. Then therefore, I'm not headed to heaven. Um, hopefully that's that's clear enough. Paul's charge to the church at Corinth. Look, look at first Corinthians chapter five. First Corinthians chapter five. I saw here in verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed. He who, excuse me, he, he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed as absent in body, but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present, him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with your spirit, with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorifying is not good. Do, not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may, may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened for indeed christ our passover was sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth i wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people yet i certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of, the, of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since then you would need to go out of the world but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or, or an idolater or a or viler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what I have to do, what for what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. This is involving a man who had his father's wife. The church was instructed to first deliver one to Satan, in verse 5, to purge out the old leaven, in verse 7, not to keep company, in verse 11, not even to eat <coughs> with such a person, also in verse 11, and to put away from yourselves that wicked person. This kind of goes back to some of the lessons that we've already we've already looked at. So this this man is sitting in the congregation. Say he's sitting in here. And. We don't say anything we know is going on. But we don't do anything about it. This person then thinks that they're all right. Would you agree? Yes, no. They, they, they probably, well, I'm all right. No one said anything about it. 
But let's say we don't have the love that we're supposed to have. We don't enjoy ourselves in the fellowship we need to have. And we say something to this person. They may get upset and just leave anyway. And we're like, well, well, <clears throat> he just fellowshiped himself. He, he left on his own. We don't have, there's nothing that we need to do. What, is he, what does he take with him as he's leaving, leaving out of here? That goes back to God when, when we die. His soul, right? He has a soul that needs to be, be saved, a soul that needs to be rectified back to God. And so it's our job to try to tell this, teach this person what's right. So we, we as we're studying now, as we've been trying to do here, is trying to make sure the fellowship, the love that we have for one another is where it needs to be. And we're not perfect. We get it wrong sometimes. But if we, if we are steady trying to show love to one another and trying to help admonish one another, to help correct one another, help each other get to heaven, that when I come to you or you come to me and I am in the wrong, I can recognize that because, well, I know that's what the scripture is saying. It's not Jay Lee Jackson saying this, it's the scripture saying it. No one is saying this to this person. No one is doing all the things that Paul is saying. And I guarantee you if they did and they showed the love that they were supposed to have for him, he would recognize I am wrong. I need to stop doing this. I don't want to belabor a point on this. The point I'm getting at, though, is that um, this was wrong. And Paul was saying, I'm not even there. And, I, and y'all are not doing anything. But I've heard about this. Could you imagine that people have heard about what's going on, whatever it may be? I'm not saying something is, but something is going on at Anchorage, the Anchorage congregation. And they say a congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, knows what's going on here because they've heard about it. Because people have visited here. And man, that congregation, there, they're no good. Now, I heard about you all five years ago. I didn't just hear. I came and visited. And I was like, yep, this is where I want to be. Because they're doing some things, good, great things there. Not a perfect congregation. No congregation is. But I guarantee you, if I would have came here, and I'm a, I'm a people watcher like a lot of you all are as well, I would have been like, nope, not, nope. That, that brother Court, mm-mm. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm picking that court. I'll, I'll, I'll pick that Cameron in the back or Shay, as y'all know. You know, no, Shay, that brother, nope. Uh, I met him, and he ruined it for the entire congregation. That's what can happen when you have someone in the congregation or people in the congregation who are living a sinful life. They can make the rest of the congregation and the church itself look terrible. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. Now, imagine we have someone that's not a Christian that's visiting with us. And they see what we have going on here. They don't not. They don't only want nothing to do with the Anchorage congregation or Anchorage Church of Christ. Anything that says Church of Christ, I want nothing to do with those people. We have a responsibility to help souls uh, get to heaven. Paul charged the church in Thessalonica in Second Thessalonians three sixteen through fifteen that that was involving those who work who would not work and support themselves. The church was instructed to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to uh, the tradition which he received from us, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. And to note that person and do not keep company with him, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14. And we've seen this, this terminology a couple times already, to note that person. We need to name Jaylee Jackson is living in sin. You all need to know about that. You need to stay away from him. Because he may influence you in the wrong way. If you have contact with him, it is to be, brother, we love you, and we want you to repent and turn back to God. Because God wants you back. God wants you back. God wants you 
to be in heaven with him. God is giving you time and opportunity right now, even while we're standing here talking to you. But no, I can't go have a meal with you. No, I can't hang out with you this weekend. I need you, you need to get back right with God. Get back in fellowship with your brothers and sisters, fellowship with God. Turn over to 2 John. 2 John, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. If someone would please read that. 2 John 9 through 11. Anyone, Second John 9 through 11. Kind of goes back to where I was, uh, was talking about with Court. If he knows what, I'm, what I have going on in my life, but he does nothing to try to help, say, bring me back to Christ, he knows what's going on. He's sharing with me. We, we're sitting and talking and laughing and joking and going to games and, and whatever. He's sharing in my deeds in a way, right? So let me ask you, and, and I know you know the answer to this, but I just want to make sure it's clear. Is there a difference with sinning and living in sin. Well, as Jackie says, the same difference, but is it? Like I sin every day, don't you? But are you, am I living in sin? You understand what I'm getting at here? Well, I, I want somebody to explain it to me. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was a great example. Great example. I, I was explaining this to one of my kids some a few years ago. Say, hitting my fist, uh, it was a wall, but say hitting my fist on this podium is a sin. I, I, I just hit it one time, or, you know, I hit it, or, like, years later, I hit it again, you know, because sometimes we commit the same sins, from time to time. So I hit it and that's the sin. I, I repented my sin and I asked God to forgive me and I, I stopped doing it. That's sinning, but it's not living in sin. But I constantly just keep hitting it. You know, I'm living, I'm steady sinning over and over and I'm continuing to keep doing it. Or I, I sin, 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 sin. Oh, I shouldn't do that. God, please forgive me. And I just turn right back around and I just keep doing it. Keep doing it over and over. I'm living in sin. We all sin, every single one of us. We should work hard at not trying to because the wages of sin is death. You work hard at something you expect to get paid. And Scripture says the wages of sin is death. So I work hard at sin, I should expect death. Not just dying uh, like we're all going to do or be changed and, and when Jesus comes back, but that, that death where we have eternal punishment in hell. That's what I'm talking about. And so when we... When we decide that we're just going to give our lives over to Satan, because basically that's what we're doing, then we're not in the fellowship with God. We're not following the commandments of Christ. We're not serving him, so therefore we're serving Satan. 
Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what you are then to God. You're sin. And we know that God and sin don't mix. It is clearly evident that withholding fellowship is necessary under certain conditions. But what is the purpose of placing a limitation on the fellowship? We, there is a purpose in, in this. There's a great purpose. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be reading. The first purpose is to save the soul in error. Hebrews 10 Starting at verse 26, it says, For if we sin willfully after we have received, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. But we know him to, who, who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We save the soul in error by making him ashamed of his sins. Perhaps then he may repent. Second um, Thessalonians 3.14. Again, if I am sinning, I'm living in sin, and you know that I am, and you don't do anything about it, then you're not caring for my soul. And so in order for me to, for you to care for my soul, you are telling me, Jaylee, you are living in sin. You are doing what is wrong. Let me tell you, let me show you in Scripture why I'm saying this is wrong. It's not me saying Christ is saying it is wrong. God is saying it is wrong. I can't be with you. I can't hang around you. I can't be influenced by the sin. I love you, but I can't be with you. And maybe, just maybe, that person, maybe me, as I start, I mean, nobody is visiting me. No one's calling me. I'm not getting text messages from anyone. And I know I love the people there. I'm not, I'm not with them anymore. I can't keep doing this. Let me turn to God. Let me turn back to God. We want that person to repent. God wants that person to repent. God has given us time, chance, over and over again, as we talked about last week, to make our lives right with him, our souls right with him. And we want that person that is living in sin to stop living in sin and turn back to God. Consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 5, 5. The church is to deliver such a one to Satan. That is to remove all godly influence from that person. This is done by withdrawing fellowship. This sounds harsh. This sounds like discipline. And that's exactly what it is. Scripture has it there. Doesn't mean that it's easy. Doesn't mean that um, it's, it's not something fun to go through. But I will tell you this. We need to do it the right way as well. Because it makes no sense that all of a sudden now I care about what you're doing. Because you're, you're bringing um, shame upon the church. And I do that. Because really, all I care about is that you're bringing shame upon me and the people that are here. We're prominent, and we don't want you making us look bad. You ever been in a place like that? Because I have. It's all about us. No, it's about God. 
first and foremost, it should be about look what you are doing to God. You're not, Tony preached a sermon some time ago and said that it is our job every day to be trying to put a smile on God's face by our actions, by the things that we do. And I truly believe that, that it, we, we need to be, God has done so much for us and there's nothing that we could ever do to give him back what he's given us. But that doesn't mean we can't keep trying each and every day. And when we stop trying, we start going the other way, then truly are we following him? No, we're not. But I tell you, sometimes we get it wrong. So uh, even though it's laid out in the Bible so perfectly, we get it wrong because we're people. And so that's what we're talking about it tonight. Um, the purpose is also for the destruction of the flesh. It is fleshly desires of which pride plays a great part that encourages one to persist in sin. I don't know if we need any examples for that, but I don't want to stop because, well, I'm a man, and that's what I'm going to do. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't tell me that I'm doing wrong. Let me figure that out on my own. You can't judge me. You're not supposed to judge me. God is my only judge. Well, Bible has something to say about that. But shame can go a long way to destroying things, these things of the flesh. Therefore, the command to publicly and note and withdraw from such a person. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 4, 4 and verse 13. The ultimate goal is that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Our concern is not his or even our own temporary happiness. It's not going to make someone happy when, when, say, the elders decide to stand up in front of us and read a list of names of people or, or name a person that's living in sin, noting that person. is. It's not going to make the family happy either. I'll tell you, there are family members that you, do you think it is easy to be in a family and you have a member of your family that is disfellowship from a current congregation? I know of a preacher who was also an elder in, this, in a congregation. He had, I think, four, four or five kids. Um, and he had a daughter who was clearly living in sin. And she knew she was. In fact, she said, I'm going to do this just to see what the congregation does. But what she was not expecting was that her family also was going to do what Scripture said. Like She would bring her business to the house, whatever she was doing. And they were like, you can't come in here with that. She said that what hurt her the most because the family was doing what the congregation was doing. And her dad said, no, I'm doing what the Bible says I'm supposed to do because you're bringing sin with you and we cannot allow sin to be around us. And I was like, man, that has to be hard. I, I can't imagine. And if you've ever had to go through that or you're going through that now, can't imagine. I'm sure it is or I can only empathize with you. But if you are trying to do what God's word is saying, if you want to go to heaven, you, you're going to do what the scripture says. That doesn't make it easy, though. I hope I've said that enough. It's, it doesn't make it easy. I'm not saying it is. It's easy for me to sit up here and read from my little notes and read from the Bible and say, this is what we're supposed to do, but it doesn't make it any easier. But it's not about our happiness. It's, a, it's about the salvation of that person's soul on the day of judgment. Therefore, the need for tough love by withdrawing fellowship. But we first have to have the compassionate love that exists uh, before we go to this tough love. Because it's hard to be tough on people that you've never truly shown love for. So a second purpose 
is for us to save the souls of the other members of the church. This was Paul's point about the need to purge out the leaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Just as leaven infects the whole loaf, so can sin in the camp. Um, there is one, one story in the Bible that I can think of right now, just when we talk about sin in the camp. It's when, you remember when the Israelites first um, walked around the um, walls of Jericho? And they did exactly what God told them um, to do, right? And on the seventh day, they walked around, was it six times? Or it was on the sixth day, excuse me. They walked around, it's on the seventh day. Y'all are going to have to correct me, y'all are going to find it in the Bible. They walked around the wall, I know, more than once. It was six times, I believe. They did exactly what God said to do. And, and he told them when they went into the city that all the spoils belonged to him. Everything had to go to him. But when they tried to go to the next city to um, destroy that smaller city, they even took less people with them. One person took some spoil and hid it, knew he was wrong. He knew it was wrong and went and hid it in his tent up under in the ground so that nobody would find it. And God did not allow them to conquer that next city because of one person's sin. That's how serious God takes sin. And so we should also. Sin is not doing what God tells you to do. Uh, sin left unchecked will destroy the, the other members in the congregation, either by tempting them to sin in similar fashion, as uh, Shay was just talking about, might be uh, influencing me or influencing you, or by their failure to exercise proper discipline. For they would then be guilty before the Lord on that basis. <laughs> as we, as was the church in Pergamos, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Even if the Aaron brother does not repent, the church will still be saved. So we can do all we're supposed to do to try to save this brother or sister from their sins, try to bring them back to, to God. And they, they just may not do it. I mean, we may pray about it, pray about it, pray about it, talk about it, try to get this person to come back, try to get this person to get away from their sins, and they, they just might not do it. We need to do our part. We can't just say, well, they left on their own. We want that soul to be saved. Because wouldn't you want that for you? I know I would. I know standing here right now, if I'm living in sin, I would want you to come and try to bring me back. And I don't want you to stop. Please bring me back. Bring me back. Because God has given me opportunity and chance to still be alive. Still blessing me to still be alive. I would hope that it, that I would listen and come back before it's too late. Thirdly, the reason, the purpose for withholding fellowship is to magnify the Lord and his church in the eyes of the world. <clears throat> the world won't see it that way. Look at Acts chapter 5. <laughs> this was an, uh, in effect of the first case of the church discipline recorded in, in the New Testament. The example of Ananias and Sapphira illustrates how seriously the Lord himself views sin in the camp. So, if you don't know the story of Ananias and Sapphira, I will ask that you go and read Acts chapter 5. But what you will read in Acts chapter 4 is about a man named Barnabas who sold all, he sold some property and brought, <clears throat> brought the money to the apostles' feet. And they had already known who Barnabas was. In fact, they thought of him so much they gave him a nickname, son, son of um, encouragement. Um, 
Ananias and Sapphira saw this and thought, well, maybe we can get a name for ourselves. You know, possibly. Maybe we can get a name for ourselves. So we're going to go sell some land. We're going to sell our land. And we're going to make this much, but we're only going to tell them. We're going to tell them we made this much, but we're only going to give them this much. So right there, in their mind, they're already sinned. But let me tell you, they had opportunity to change their mind. They did, right? Don't you think? They had opportunity to change their mind. And Ananias stands in front of the apostles, and he says this is how much we sold it for, but he gave this much. It was still theirs. They didn't have to give it all. They decided this is what they were going to do. And he was, they knew that he was lying, and he died because of his sin. Three hours later, his wife comes in, not knowing her husband has died, but she still had opportunity to change her mind. She lied as well, and she died. That's how serious God takes sin. And so he expects us to as well. The result was, and that was in verses 1 through 10, the result was one of fear, yet great esteem, which led to many conversions. In Acts chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. The point is, somebody would say, whoa, you're telling me God will kill you or make you, will punish you because you lied against him? What is a lie? And people will say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. That was total opposite of what actually happened. There were more conversions. People respected God. They had godly fear, godly respect for him. And they said, no, I want to follow this God because he is the God who made heaven and earth. The world is not going to take the gospel call to holiness seriously if the church does not deal properly with sin in the camp. You ever have people in the world tell you that that just doesn't, that don't seem right, whatever has happened. That Christian should have known they should have done this and this and this. I'm like, how do you know? You're not a Christian. Well, I just know. I know the Bible probably says something like that. That's why I don't want anything to do with it. But I know that those Christians, they, you, you're a hypocrite if you're not doing that. You say you're a Christian, but you're not following what God's word says. Now, how do they know? Well, we know, right? And so then we need to be that example for them. They're not going to take us seriously, though, if we're doing the same things they're doing. Then why even be a member of the body if I can just do what I do in the world? I can just keep doing what I'm doing. But when a church and a congregation deals with unrepentant sin in the manner of withholding fellowship, the reputation of the church or the congregation is held in high esteem. At least it should be. Some people will see us as a cult, a cult or, or say that we're just mean people or we just don't get it. It is not about our happiness. It's about following the truth. There was a time when I know the Church of Christ, even when I was growing up as a little boy, was known for knowing the scripture, knowing the, the, the people of the book. And maybe we've gotten away from that a lot. But we don't have to, we don't have to still be seen as, we don't, we don't have to be seen as people that don't know the Bible anymore. We can get back into it. We are doing that. We can talk about those serious issues and stick with God's word. Because when it comes down to it, it, only, it matters to what God thinks about us, not what the world thinks about us. Yet we do want the world to, to know about the church and to hold the church in high esteem. But we can't do that by placating them, by, by sugarcoating and things that we talk about if the scripture is talking about it the way it does. When people decide to get serious about sin, where do you think they will go? To a church or, or to a denomination that winks at sin or one that provides every proper motivation to turn 
from sin. I'm trying to get away from sin. I don't want to be a part of it. Why would I go into a religious organization that still is um, dealing in sin? Again, why would I even go there if I can just keep doing the same things? There's so much more that can be said about the subject of withholding fellowship, but I think we've, we've talked about it enough tonight as it relates to the church, church discipline. An entire series can be presented on this subject. I don't think we need it, though. But I trust this will suffice to make two points about our life together. Our fellowship together is, in Christ does have a limitation. What is true, we have to have a receiving fellowship, but we also have, must be able to reject fellowship when needed. And our fellowship together in Christ needs to be very special. It's not just another organization that you can just pay money to and now I'm a part of it. I'm, I'm part of uh, the Lions Club now, or I'm part of the v, VFW. Or No, this is special what we have. This fellowship in Christ is special. It's not only so we might enjoy all the blessings Christ intended in the family of God, but should it ever be necessary to withhold fellowship, as a last effort to save a brother's soul, what is withheld will really be missed. When that person is missing, what's, they're not in fellowship. They should miss what God has in store for us. Church discipline often fails because the fellowship never was what it should have been in the first place. I hope that you were able to see and hear what God's word had to say tonight about that. So next week, we will, we will talk about how we can, uh, our worship can enhance our fellowship together. It'll go right along with some of the things that Tony has been speaking on. And after that, we, we, will, uh, we will be talking about enriching, enriching our life together, how we can come together even more. I know it just seems like it's the same thing every week, but we're, we're talking about fellowship. How can we strengthen that glue, that bond that we have with one another? Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we're so grateful to you, Lord, that you have put discipline in your word and there's still love there lord it's because of your love we want to stick to what your word says help us to do that lord help us now as we go into a time of devotion that you may be pleased what we have to offer to you in jesus name amen thank you all for coming to class tonight